You are listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Pittsfield campus. Let's give those two back there, Jake and Dave, a round of applause. They, uh, they recovered from our little power glitch there pretty quick and pretty, I didn't see any panic on any faces or anything. The worship team didn't panic. Uh, so great job, guys. Thank you so much. We take, seem to take these guys for, for uh, granted. Um, it's, it's not always Dave and Jake, but the sound guy and the, the person working the computer, they work hard. And so we need to appreciate them every week, right? Even when the power stays on, we do need to appreciate them. Well, today is 9-11, and um, I feel like I would be uh, amiss if I didn't speak to that a little bit and uh, just kind of call us all together for a a quick time of prayer um, for our country. And, you know, 9-11, it's been 15 years since the, uh, the events in New York City and in Pennsylvania, and... Um, but for so many, especially those who were directly involved, those who were directly impacted with uh, a loss of a loved one, it's still real. It's not like a 15-year-ago thing. It's still very real. They're living in a lot of the children from that, uh, those families are, are just now kind of coming into adulthood, and you know, it's very real to them too. So let's, uh, if we would, let's say a prayer for, for those folks who are directly impacted as well as for our country as we continue to heal, because all, all the wounds aren't healed yet from 9-11. So if you would, let's take a moment and let's pray for that. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Father, that uh, you love us and you care for us. And Father, that uh, even through those, those horrible, tragic days of, of 9-11, when, when we were attacked so tragically, Lord, that you were there. You were there. You knew our hurts. You, you, you calmed us. You, you relieved us. You brought peace, Father, and we thank you for that. And, Father, for those who are still living that tragedy, Father, through the loss of loved ones, through the loss of close family, Father, we, we pray that you would heal their hearts, that you would bring them wholeness, Father, that you would um, just bring them peace beyond understanding, as your word says, the peace that passes all understanding. And Father, for our country, country, we pray healing. Father, we pray that, uh, that we would find, again, a unifying factor to move forward as a country, Lord, closer to you. Father, that you're the answer, that you're the answer to the problems or to the situations, to the circumstances that, that uh, uh, affect us as a country. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, it, it was uh, very unifying after 9-11, you know, how people came together. People came back to church for a while because they needed that unity. They needed that, uh, that bond with others. And they also needed that focus on the Lord because, believe me, folks, those who are out there who, who proclaim that uh, Jesus isn't Lord, those out there who proclaim that there is no God, when tragedy strikes, they're looking. They're looking for an answer. And they know, they know deep in their heart, you know, the, the Bible tells us that God puts eternity in our hearts. They know who, who the Lord is that God puts it there and that people look to that and turn to that and they want to be comforted, they want to find peace and they know that there is only one way to find peace and that is the Prince of Peace, Jesus. So today we're going to spend time talking about being in unity together and talking about uh, life groups and it's Life Group Sunday, you probably noticed out there as you came in, we have all kinds of crazy good stuff that we're going to do after the service. 
Um, but, but just as the, the, the time of 9-11 when our country came together in unity, we, we still need that unity. We still need that togetherness as a country, as a church. We need to be together, all of us on the same page, working toward the same mission. That same mission that we have to go and create community by, by developing people, families, and leaders to know and enjoy God and to restore every person, town, and city. Did you know that's the, the mission of Grace Capital Church? I think we have it on a slide to put it up that we can all read it, is go and create community by developing people's families and leaders to know and enjoy God, to know and enjoy God, not just to know God, but to enjoy his presence, to know and enjoy God and to restore every person, town, and city. This is our unified mission. This is our mission as a church, as a people, as a congregation, as a local GCC Pittsfield, as well as Grace Capital Church, three locations spread throughout New Hampshire to create communities, to restore every person, town, and city. And I believe that that's God's heart. God's heart is to restore us, to restore people, to restore towns, to bring a a restoration and a prosperity to people and to towns and to cities as we grow together to follow him. We need this unified mission. We need a unified approach. Now, this doesn't take away from our individual callings or individual gifts or individual passions. This, this unified mission that we have, but it solidifies the vision of the fruit that we're looking for, the fruit that we want to see from our mission, the fruit of restoration of people, towns, and cities. Our life group leaders know that, that we're transformed when we are in community together. And as we come in community together each Sunday, it's, it's a transformational thing. It's a thing where we, we grow together as we g- gather in small groups and life groups throughout the community too. It's a time where we grow together, a time that we love each other more. We pray for one another. We share food with one another. We, we care for one another. When someone is in the hospital, we care for them. We go see them. We go visit them. We make sure that their families are taken care of with meals. We hold each other accountable. And the fruit of all this is, is community. It's, it's raising up people, families, and leaders. As our mission says, that it's part of what we want to do. Our youth leaders, they passionately believe in the power of our next generation to be world changers. They're, our youth leaders here, Amber and John and Kayla, they're so passionate about our youth. They're so passionate about those who are coming up to be our next generation. They want to pour into them. Lauren is passionate about the folks down at Fitchburg State. She wants to pour into them and she wants to share the gospel with them. And the fruit of this is going to be a restored generation, a generation that's restored, that will go out and restore towns and cities beyond that. On an individual level, how, do we, how does this mission work out on individual levels? Well, maybe maybe you're, you're called and, and you feel like it's your passion to mentor young moms or, or young dads. Maybe that's what God has called you to do. And as you do that, people are restored. Generations are changed. Maybe you're called to to distribute tracts. Maybe God puts it on your heart to to distribute tracts to folks as you meet them around town. There's fruit. There's restoration in this. Some care for the elderly. Maybe that's God's calling on your life is to take care of the elderly. Again, people are restored through this ministry, through these individual ministries that God gives us collectively as a church to go and create community and develop people, families, and leaders to know and enjoy the presence of God and to restore every person, town, and city. There's so many ways for a unified mission to manifest itself in individual ways. There's, there's, there's lots of ways for that to happen. And we're part of this great mission field that, that's Pittsfield. We're part of this mission field. God has put us here. Just like God has put Lauren in Fitchburg, he's, he's put us here in Pittsfield 
to be the agents of change, to bring the gospel, to, to, to plant the seeds, to spread the gospel, to water the seeds, and to see the fruit of restored people, towns, and cities. So what I want you to know that, that our mission, even though it's unified and it's collective and it's a body, it's not restrictive. We're not telling people what they can do or how they need to, to do this this great thing to develop people, families, and leaders. And they, we're not telling people how to restore pers- people, cities, and towns. No, it's not restrictive. We share the vision and the common future of biblically strong families and leaders. And, and we have a common future inside of a community enjoying God and all that he's made us to be. And, and we have a common vision of a future of restored people, towns, and cities. But it's each of us doing as God has called us to do, to go and create this community. And as your pastor, I want you to know that I'm releasing you and your gifts and your callings to minister the way that God has called you to minister in the places that God has called you to minister to, to be this community that works together in unity on this mission that we have with the fruit of restoration for all, the fruit of restored people, towns, and cities. I think if we do that, maybe we could call it revival. Do you think we could call that revival? If people are being restored because of the individual mission that God gives us that fits into this collective mission that he's given us as a church? And as we look at Scripture today, we're going to think about revival and and think about what it would look like. How do we get from where we are today to revival? Or maybe we're already there. I don't know. We're going to take a look at that today. Where does it start? Where does revival start? Is it just like out there somewhere and we have to go and find it and bring it back? What is revival and how are we going to make it happen here? No, I believe that revival comes in our heart. Revival starts in here. Revival starts in here with me. I can't start revival in your heart. God restarts revival in my heart, and he can start revival in your heart too. Revival begins in all of us. When we collectively, when we're reawakened to Christ as as the Son of God, the Son of the living God, we're reawakened to that. Then revival begins in us and in our community together. So we're going to take a look at, at some scripture where I think the Apostle Peter uh, had, an, had an awakening in his heart. If it wasn't an awakening in his heart, it was a reawakening in his heart. Because it's a time when Peter discovered who Jesus was. And I believe in, G- in Peter's heart right then, revival started. And right then, people's lives started to become transformed and changed because of what happened there in Peter. So let's go to the book of Matthew, if you would turn there with me. I read out of the New King James Version most of the time. Just in case, if yours doesn't match up exactly, that's okay. There's lots and lots of good versions. I'm not saying one's better than the other. But that's what I'm using today, and that's what I'll use most of the time. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, and we'll read through verse 20. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. The church is born here. This is the place in Scripture where really we see the church being born. As we kind of take a walk through these, through these verses, um, we can see what, what Jesus is doing and, and, and how he's working through his disciples here to, to birth the church. Verses 13 and 14 says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So here was Jesus. He was asking, what are, people, who, what are people saying about me? What are people, who do they think that I am? What do they think they, that, that I am? What do they think that I'm here for? And it's interesting that they're in this area of Caesarea Philippi, which was a very diverse religious area. There were lots of religions represented there. And so this is the place where Jesus wanted to ask his disciples, well, who do people say that I am? And just kind of on a side note, sometimes I think it's good for us to, to take this... Uh, approach that Jesus takes and look around and think what do people think of me who do people think that I am it's kind of a a, just again on a side note it's a good kind of a 360 review of who we are what people think about us and how people see us but here Jesus was he was saying who do people say that I am and and they said well some say that you're John the Baptist and some say that you're Elijah and others say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets well that's pretty vague, right? I mean, the ones who, who said that he was John the Baptist, didn't they know that John the Baptist was there and baptized Jesus? And how could they be the same if they were in the same place at the same time, right? So it couldn't be John the Baptist, but, I, but people were saying that that's who he was. And then the prophets, you know, they were saying that, that, oh, maybe he's Elijah because Elijah was a great prophet, or Jeremiah because Jeremiah was one of the great prophets. But, but all these people that they said that Jesus was or that they said that Jesus could be. They were, they were considered national reformers. They were people who wanted to change the government. They were people who did make changes in the government, who stood up to, to corrupt rulers in their day and, and made changes in government and made changes through people. And, and that a lot of these people who, who were claiming this about Jesus were hoping that that's what he would do because they wanted him to come and take care of the corrupt Romans and, and throw them out of, rule, of, the, of ruling there in Jerusalem. But all of these ideas, all these, these things that people said that Jesus was, they all underestimated him. They all underestimated that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. So in verse 15 and 16, Jesus, he asked this pointed question, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He wants to know his disciples, those who know him the very best, those who have been hanging out with him for a while. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, who else? But Peter would speak up first, right? We've talked about Peter a lot through, uh, through the, the series that we've been leading up to this. And, you know, he's always wanted to speak out first and be, be very bold. And a lot of things he said, he was a little bit off because he would speak sometimes, I think, before he thought. I think he was one of those ready, fire, aim guys. Right? But this time he was right on. Right? Because what did he say? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now compare this back up in 13. Jesus said... Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So in his question, he had called himself the Son of Man. But Peter had this great revelation. I feel like it was at that moment, even. Peter had this great revelation. No, you're not just the Son of Man. You are the Son of the living God. 
in this, this area of Caesarea Philippi that had so many different religions and so many different things set up, false gods, Peter saw, had this revelation and said, no, 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 you are the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. We can surmise that this was an understanding of Jesus that, that Peter and all the other disciples hadn't really had yet. It was something that, that they were kind of growing into this because I, th- I feel like when they were following Jesus in the beginning, they were, they were attracted to him because he was a remarkable teacher. He was a rem- remarkable man. These miracles that he was doing were amazing and so they followed Jesus. But I don't know that until this very moment when Peter had this revelation that they really realized, no, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But over time, Peter discovered that. He discovered that he was the Messiah and the son of the living God. This, this was Peter's revival. This awakened Peter's heart, this rabbi that he'd been following. He was more than just a rabbi. He was more than just a teacher. He was more than John the Baptist. He was more than Elijah, more than Jeremiah, more than all the prophets. He was the son of the living God. This awakened Peter's heart to who Jesus is, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Well, why was he blessed? Why did Jesus reply in such a way? What, what was the blessing? The blessing was because this was a fresh and new revelation from the Father to Peter. A fresh revelation of who Jesus was. It wasn't some kind of discovery that Peter made on his own through his own study or through his own uh, Bible studies. No, it was a revelation from God. Peter was speaking by divine inspiration. And you know, it's funny, we often expect God to speak to us in these marvelous and magnificent and humongous ways. But right here, God spoke to Peter in such a natural way that I don't even think Peter understood that he was having this great revelation from God. You are Christ, the Son of the living God, this revelation. So as we move forward into verse 17 and 18, Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Peter, you're Peter. The the name Peter uh, uh, translates to be the rock. So what is Jesus saying? Is he saying that, Peter, you are the church, the church is built on you and nothing else? No, I don't think so. I I think Jesus was telling Peter that I'm the foundation of this church, this rock, I think Jesus was referring to himself, this rock. And many commentators will say that Jesus was referring, that he's the rock that the church is founded on. And Peter, you're one of the rocks that are going to make up this church. Maybe you're even the very first rock. I'm giving you this, this fresh revelation to make up the church. But Peter, upon this rock, we're going to build the church. Jesus referring to himself. Because Peter, by his own testimony, if we, we can look, flip back to 1 Peter um, Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, by his own testimony, he, he admits or he says that he, he's not the foundation of the church, that Jesus is. Jesus is referring to himself. Second Peter, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, coming to him as to a living stone. So talking about Jesus, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones, so us also as living stones, are being, built up a, uh, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer the spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So these little rocks 
Peter, the disciples, our forefathers, you and me, these little rocks that, that build up the church, that make the church. So Peter affirmed Jesus as the cornerstone and that we're all the, these living stones that make up the church. Maybe Peter was the very first one, but we're all a part of this church that Christ built up on this rock, this cornerstone of Jesus Christ, this church that's being built in unity together. We're part of those rocks. We're part of those rocks. And then in verse 18, he says, I will build my church. It's interesting to note this is the first use of the term church in our Bible, in the New Testament or the Old Testament. This is the first time that this, this church idea, this church word has been used. It's also interesting to note that Jesus used the term ecclesia here. Uh, the, it's a Greek word. He used the, word, uh, the Greek word ecclesia. It's funny to note that this, is, this ecclesia is not a religious word. Ecclesia meant a group or, or a, a called out group. But it wasn't used in the, in the time and in that t- particular context in a religious way. It was a group of people that Jesus was calling together. Not necessarily a religious group. Not necessarily creating a religion, but creating a group of people going to be called the church that are going to move in such a way that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus' church. Now, if you think about gates, they're not real scary, are they? You see a gate and it's not like an offensive weapon. Nobody attacks you with a gate, right? So what? the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. The darkness... The darkness that the gates of Hades holds in will not prevail against the church because the church will bring the light. The church will bring the light to the world, will bring the light to our communities. The gates of hell, who wants to prevent that light, who wants to block that light, who wants to keep people in darkness, won't be able to prevail against the church as we move out into our communities and become that light, become that that freeing force that sets people free from that darkness that's hidden behind those gates, those gates that cannot prevail, that can't keep, can't keep people held in when the church is doing what the church does and sets, finding people's freedom and setting people free from all that bondage that's holding them there, all that darkness. No, oh, the church, the gates of hell won't prevail against us. They won't prevail against us. So this group that Jesus calls out not a religious term, but a group of people, a group of you and me. And, and why in the world would, would Jesus turn the church over to a bunch of people like us? We're all imperfect, right? We're all imperfect. But Jesus calls us, this group, this ecclesia, to come together in unity, to be one, a group, to move forward his church to move forward his message, to move forward the gospel. And as we do that, the gates of Hades won't have a chance. They won't have a chance to keep people hidden back in the darkness. So Jesus laid down the foundation of his church and he promised that his church is wonderful, that his church will do well, that his church will survive, that his church will thrive. The gates of Hades will not prevail. He brings his people together in common. He says, I will build he brings people together in common, commonality and community together. I will build. He builds it on a firm foundation. On this rock I will build. This rock of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. He builds something that belongs to him. Do you notice he called it my church? This is the church of Jesus that he's building. My church. 
and he builds it into a stronghold. A stronghold that the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not prevail against. So Jesus, speaking of his church, this called out group gathering together in his name, it's his church, his name, standing on a solid foundation, the rock, the cornerstone, creating something that the gates of Hades will not prevail against. It will not prevail against. Gates of Hades will not prevail against the church as we do what the church is called to do. I hear often people, like I said earlier, wanting revival to come. Wanting revival to come here or come there or be here or be there. Or people wanting revival to come to the United States or to New Hampshire or to Pittsfield. And yes, yes, I want to see revival here too. And by the way, I believe it's going to be here. But it may look different. It's not out there that's going to come here. It may start here in this room. This revival, this awakening of hearts, just like Peter had this fresh revelation of who Jesus was. I believe that when we get a fresh revelation of who Jesus is, we're going to be revived. We're going to be reawakened. We're going to be changed. And when we do that as a community, as we do that together in unity, people are going to look for a word for it, and they're going to call it revival. They're going to call it a great awakening. They're going to call it something new and fresh. Revival. But it begins in our hearts. There's only one way for revival to come. Which we look at this story of Jesus and Peter and the disciples. We can see that revival wasn't out there so that Jesus sent his disciples out to find revival and come back with it. No. Revival started in Peter's heart as he had this fresh revelation of who Jesus is. He was awakened to who Jesus is. The Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's heart was awakened. And then the hearts of the other disciples were awakened right along with it. Revival started to spread as their hearts were reawakened to who Jesus is. Revival starts with a reawakened heart. You see, revival is the collective awakening or reawakening of our hearts. I'll repeat that. Revival is the collective awakening or reawakening of our hearts. When my heart is awakened to who Jesus is, then my life changes. I live differently. I'm transformed. I'm restored. And others will see that. And they will discover who Jesus is in their heart. And then we come together as a group. We're collective together corporately. Our hearts are changed. Our, our, our hearts are transformed. We're reawakened to who Jesus is. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. We see that fresh and new. We get a fresh revelation of that. And boom, revival has started here in this place. We're all little stones that build the church. We're all little rocks that build the church. A community is, is a called out group. It's not a religious group, but it knows who Jesus is. It's a community of folks who know who Jesus is, who know that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We build his church. It's his church. It's not our church. We strengthen his church. And the church becomes stronger and stronger such that the gates of hell will not prevail. They will not. They cannot. If we do this together, as we do this together as a group, as a community, together, together. So what does it mean for you and for me then? Well, I think it means a couple of things. First is we need to be sure that we aren't praying for revival out there to come here. We're not praying for something that's happening in, in uh, somewhere else to come here, California or Australia or Europe or Africa, anywhere to come here. No, we're to be praying for revival of our hearts, revival inside of us. That's what we need to be praying for. We need to be awake, awakened. 
or for some of us reawaken to who Jesus is. He's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Revival can start here in Pittsfield. Let me say it again. Revival can start here in Pittsfield. It can. But it won't start by preaching, by me preaching, whether it's good or bad. It won't start, revival won't start by my preaching. It won't start by having excellent worship. Revival won't start if, if we all had all the money in the world we need to finish out our building and make it beautiful and spectacular. That's not going to bring revival. It won't start if we have the most fancy lights in the world or the best sound system or best website. Those aren't the things that are going to bring revival. It will start when we collectively, when we collectively, when we collectively as a church reawaken ourselves, reawaken our hearts to who Jesus is. Realizing that he's Christ, the son of the living God. God, you want to come up? Revival is the collective reawakening of our hearts to Jesus. My heart is reawakened. Your heart is reawakened. Someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, well, their heart isn't reawakened, but it's awakened. It's awakened to who he is. The collective. Collectively, it's a movement of us, people. And then people, they're not going to know what to do, so they're going to call it a revival. But it's really us having this revelation that Peter had. No, you're Christ, the Son of the living God. And we'll share that with people. We'll share that fresh revelation we have with people by telling them, by living our lives in such a way that we know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then things change. Then, things change. then this awakening begins. This awakening that began in my heart this awakening that begins in your heart, it starts to spread and, and there's an awakening that begins in our community individually, one by one by one. This fresh, new awakening, this fresh revelation of who Jesus is. You know, our country's going to go through a time of change because we're going to have a new president. One way or the other, it's going to be a totally new president. What a time for a reawakening. What a time for our hearts to be reawakened to who Jesus is. That he is the Christ, the son of the living God. That we don't need to depend on Donald Trump. We don't need to depend on Hillary Clinton. We need to depend depend on Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. That's our hope. That's where revival is going to start. That's where things are going to be changed. And we, we have to do this in our own hearts. And then we do it collectively. And then people are going to call it revival. They're going to call it the next great awakening. And they're going to say... How in the world did it start in this little bitty place? Pittsfield, New Hampshire. There's nothing there. There's no superstars there. There's no spectacular things there. No, but there are people who know Jesus. There are people who say, that's Jesus Christ and he's the son of the living God. I follow him. I find my hope in him. He can restore people. He can restore towns. He can restore cities. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. The collective reawakening of harps, hearts forms this ecclesia, this group, just like Jesus said it would. It forms this group of followers who share Jesus' mission together. Together, we are better together, guys. Do you ever think that, <laughs> that Jesus, if he expected the church to be perfect, that he would have stayed here and led the church himself? Because he's the only one that's perfect. We're not. We're not. No, Jesus told Peter to start this ecclesia, this group. And we know that Peter wasn't perfect. As a matter of fact, just 
just three more verses down in verse 23, Jesus is talking to Peter and he calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. So we know that, Jesus, that Peter wasn't perfect. Jesus called Peter out to start this group, to start this ecclesia, to start this non-religious group of people. And he knew who Peter was. He knew Peter wasn't perfect. But he called him to do this, to start this, to be this first stone, and to gather more stones and build this church. And as he did it, he knew that the, that the gates of Hades wouldn't prevail. He knew that they wouldn't. Generations later, Jesus, he's still using this same plan of imperfect people that come together in groups and form a church. We aren't perfect. I'm here to tell you that as your pastor, as your leader, I'm not perfect. I'm way, way far from it. Pastor Kathy, she's not even perfect. She's close. No, but we're not perfect. Jesus put these, this, this group of us together, a bunch of imperfect people, to become His church. To become His church. Look at the person beside you and say, you're not perfect. And then look at them again and say, neither am I. None of us are. None of us are perfect. God chose the church led by imperfect people like the Apostle Peter and like you and like me. He, used, he chose this church as a mechanism to spread the good news, His good news, His gospel. Why? Why did He choose it to do it this way? I don't know. If I were Jesus, I might have chosen a different way because we really, really, really are far from perfect, huh? But that's what He did. So once, once our hearts are reawakened, once we get this fresh revelation of who Jesus is, we need to be committed to this. We need to commit together to be a part of this called out group. We need to commit together to be part of this called out group. We need to commit together, all of us, together to be a part of this called out group. Commit to it, to love it, to be part of making it thrive. And how do we do this? What does it look like? What does it look like to commit together to make this happen once we get this fresh revelation of who Jesus is? It looks like commitment, a commitment to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Maybe you're the one who has the, the mission, the vision, the God-given uh, uh, passion to go and help the elderly or to mentor young moms. And go and do that. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger than all of our individual lives together. It's bigger than that. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It looks like a commitment to be a part of something that isn't perfect. But it's the only way that Jesus gave us to spread His gospel, the church, this ecclesia. It looks like a, a commitment to love each other. To love each other in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our failures. To love each other, to care for each other, to lift each other up, to expect the best out of each other. That right there is world-changing to, to so, so many out there. To, no, no, I know them. They're part of my group. They're part of my ecclesia. No, they didn't mean to hurt anybody. They didn't mean anything harm. I know who they are. I'm going to lift them up because I believe in them. Together. It looks like a commitment to give. To give to the greater good, to the greater uh, a church, bigger than who we are, bigger than us as individuals. To give. To be generous with our time and our money and our efforts. To give. It looks like a commitment to forgive one another. 
when we hurt one another, when we hurt a feeling, to forgive one another. Because when we learn to forgive, we learn to love each other more. And I can tell you right now that there are going to be days where you need to forgive me because I'm probably going to hurt your feelings at some point. I'm not going to do it on purpose, but I would ask your forgiveness. By the same token, I'll forgive you if you hurt my feelings. Forgiveness. Together, this commitment that we have to one another. And when we do this, our hearts are awakened. Awakening our hearts to be committed to this ecclesia, this group that we're a part of, this group that God has called us to be a part of here in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. What if Jesus is waiting for someone in Pittsfield to come together and reawaken their hearts, to reawaken their lives together so that revival can begin here? A revival that doesn't just sweep around Pittsfield, but sweeps around our country and the world. A revival, a great awakening. A great awakening. So for all of us, I'd like to, to spend a moment and pray, and then the, the worship team's going to lead us in a song. But I want to pray for an awakening. And if you would, if you would stand, even as we pray, and as you're asking God for a reawakening in your heart, a, re, a fresh revelation of who He is, just lift your hands. Lift your hands and open your palms toward heaven. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, reawaken my heart. Show me who you are. The Christ, the Son of the living God, reawaken my heart. Father, as we reawaken our hearts, Father, call us together. Committed to one another, Father. Committed to you first, but committed to one another. To love one another, to care for one another, to be together with one another. To share with one another, to forgive one another. Reawaken our hearts, Lord. Reawaken our hearts. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com 